Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Powerhouse Fitness Newcastle, your home fitness store where you can save up to 50% off home fitness equipment in their biggest ever sale. Visit your local Newcastle store on Percy Street or visit www.powerhouse-fitness.co.uk. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and today joined by Lee Ryder and Chris Woff. And it's the first podcast from our brand new offices in Eldon Square. And we haven't got the best of you, but there is a nice view of St James' Park around the corner. And we're going to start with the good news that Paul Dummett has signed a new contract, signed uh, last week, potentially to 2022, Lee, which is great news for Paul himself and Newcastle United fans signing for his Boyle Club, but also Newcastle United in the last few years he's definitely come on leaps and bounds and it's great to get him tied down to a new deal yeah I think it is I think the deal the negotiations have been going on for quite some time now uh, for the player I think he's he's pleased that he's got that that done now I think it's good news for the academy because not too many of them have been coming through but I think more importantly for the academy gives them something to strive for now any youngster knows that there is one way or another, there is a pathway at the first team, uh, and you can be rewarded. Uh, but I think if you talk to any local player who who comes through, they'll tell you that you know pulling on that Newcastle United shirt, and playing in front of fifty thousand, big games like Man United the other day, that that's surely what it's all about. And uh, I think it's well deserved. I think he's a, a player that has been trusted by a lot of managers. Probably still a player who can improve even more. Um, I think in, in, as the years go by you might see him playing in a different position he could move into the middle um, and, I, and I just think generally uh, it's it was a good move from Newcastle Chris, I mean, do you agree with that? I mean, especially under Rafa Benitez he's definitely improved he's had a lot of critics but you know, you're looking on social media and the critics are quickly dying off You know, and it is down to not only Benitez but uh, Paul Dummett's own hard work on the training pitch it is, and the thing I like about Paul Dummett is he doesn't pretend to be something he's not. I think we'd all see it, he would be the first to acknowledge, as he did when me and Lee went interview him the other week, that he isn't the strongest going forward, he's never going to be that marauding left-back who's going to get to the byline and whip crosses in, although his crossing, I think, has improved over the last 6 to 12 months. But what he is, is he's very strong defensively, he listens to exactly what the manager wants, and Benitez trusts him inherently. You can see that, and he was so keen to get him back fit. He didn't want to rush him back because he knew that hamstring, if that goes again, then that he could be out for an extended period. Wanting him back fully fit, and the form of the team since he's come back, it's not he's not been the only factor of it, but it's no coincidence that defensively they've improved so much since then. You've got the option on the other side for Yedlin or Mankio to be the attacking fullback, and you get the balance from Dummett who I think has come on leaps and bounds and the fact that he can play centre-back as well makes him an even more important asset if they decide they want to play three at the back uh, and he's, he, he's someone who has a very good relationship with Benitez and has become a bit of a leader in the dressing room and I think it, it is important for Newcastle and as Lee says for, for 
the thought that you could eventually progress into the first team because Dummett has again admitted the other week that he wasn't the most talented in his age group but he worked hard he went out on loan kept at it proved Pardew wrong um, and Pardew admitted that he, he proved him wrong as well eventually gave him a regular run in the team and he, he's been rewarded now and he really is one of the first names on the team sheet when he's fit I think they did a piece of the day talking about the players that Benitez has tied down and how important that is to build yeah. that kind of spine so obviously Lascelles is one who's got a brand new contract and Dummett's followed I mean how important is it that Benitez gets those those men tied down the contracts but also what does it say about where Benitez sees the future his future really yeah I think you have to have continuity in any team uh, especially at the back uh, you know it's, it's really important that there is consistency there and, and I think that ultimately you know ends up you're churning out wins it's routine everyone knows the role uh, and, and people like Paul Dummett and the cells in the dressing room the, the good talkers as well uh, they're going to get the manager's message across there's every chance Rafa might pull one of them to one side and say look this is the message I want to get out there it might sound better if it's coming from you he's very clever like that he keeps everybody in the loop he gives them a role he'll take people to one side and do something one on one just to tweak the team um, you know what Newcastle have got there is a, a manager who knows exactly what he's doing uh, He's surprised sometimes that he doesn't get the money and the, the almost the trust from the powers that be. Uh, but most decisions he's made, and the, yeah, there are one or two that haven't really worked out. People like Matt Sells, Lazar, but the majority of the decisions, ninety-eight percent of the time, he's got everything right. And I think you just got to really trust him, let him go and do his job. And I know the fans trust him anyway. I think the powers that be need to, you know, really get behind him now. Give him what he needs. He's not asking for the earth. No. Let him go out and you know tie the players he wants to tie down to longer deals and buy the players he wants to buy in the summer. Because unfortunately, in the last three windows now, that hasn't happened. Chris, I mean, he says Benitez said uh, when Dummett signed the contract that he's a player you can trust. You know, he's not going to let you down. I mean, that's a massive uh, compliment to to Dummett. You know, Rafa Benitez, Champions League winner. I mean, Paul Dummett must be on. Cloud Nine not only be playing for Newcastle United but to be playing under a manager like Rafa Benitez. Very much so, but as we've said, he's someone who listens and learns. He, he does try and carry out whatever the manager asks him to do. You know, he's always defensively going to be very solid, but he has tried to adapt his game and, and progress it. And he does carry those messages out on the pitch. I think that it was it was interesting the other week when, and this is not meant as a slight as Alexander Mitrovic. I just want to show it as, as a comparison that went after Mitrovic had gone and asked Benitez about him, he used the term that, that hopefully Alexander goes away and scores so many goals and comes back and can show that I can trust him. He used the term trust, which is not something he uses very often. And I think we've all said that about Mitrovic, and I think that's a, that's a difference. It's like someone with Mbemba there. There isn't quite that trust there. Benitez doesn't know if he asks them to do a specific job, if they're going to go and carry it out. If he asks Paul Dummett to go and do it, he knows he's going to go and try and do it the best of his, his ability, and he'll give 100% to try and follow those orders to the detail and for someone like Benitez who is meticulous and who likes things to be done in a specific way that is very important and yeah for, for Paul Dummett to have a, a renowned manager like Rafa Benitez use such glowing words and Benitez is not someone who does that very often when you ask him about specific players he very rarely mm-hmm. is, is praises them too much because he likes to talk about the collective and and how everyone's going in so that that says a lot about what he thinks about Paul Dummett and that, that is a skill in itself that to be able to receive some instructions yeah. and go out and carry them out yes. and, and the best players 
the, the survivors in the Premier League, if you like, you people like James Milner, Michael Carrick, they've lasted that long at the top clubs because when the manager says, I want you to play right back and I want you to not go over the halfway line and I want you to make sure he doesn't come past you, if you can ensure that you do exactly yeah. those three things or those three or four things, then you'll you'll survive for a long time at a football club at a, at a top at the top level and, and I think that Paul Dummett is probably a great example of somebody who's been able to do that under several different managers at Newcastle and, and that's why he is where he is and you know you do see a lot of people saying how's he in the team how's he got the contract how's he making all the money well that's why because he's able to absorb the information listen in the team meetings and go out and do it and and if you go out and do it and the team still loses as long as you've done your job the manager will continue to pick you because he trusts you and you compare to someone like Paul Pogba I know I'm not seeing in terms of actual out and out ability Paul Pogba's miles ahead but Jose Mourinho reportedly having a lot of problems at the minute with Pogba because Pogba's not following instructions Pogba wants to play on the left of a 4-3-3 Mourinho wants to play a 4-2-3-1 because he doesn't think his defence is good enough for it so he needs Pogba to do defensive duty which he didn't do at Spurs he then didn't do at St James's Park last week and that is for someone like Mourinho who like Benitez really meticulous in his plan and it just doesn't work for them you, you can afford fair flair players if they go out and, and produce the goods but the rest of the team have to to be in the system that you want and following the instructions and Paul Dummett is the, the key and someone who certainly will do that Jamal sells is similar players who listen to the manager try and learn and Benitez likes that he likes to to not just be the manager he likes the coach inside he likes to almost be like a teacher and to, to progress these players in the new contract Paul Dummett We'll give those in the, in the 23s hope that they can make it at the top level as well. But also, Paul Dummett giving something back to the community in the shape of the Elite Academy with Matt Ritchie, Dwight Gale and Rob Elliott, you know, trying to find these players who have maybe slipped through the net. I mean, that's really great to see them giving something back to the community. Yeah, well, it is. And I mean, one of the other interesting things about Paul Dummett was at one stage, I think it was in the summer of 2012, he was, you know, he was literally two or three days from being released from Newcastle they really hesitated on, on giving him a one year deal back then and, and Alan Pardew was was happy to, to release him I think he actually Alan Pardew was literally said to him you're never going to get in my team um, and then you know he had to go out on loan he went to St Mirren and slowly but surely he proved himself uh, to, to be someone who who could fit into that, that Newcastle United shirt and Pardew eventually built up some trust he changed his mind on him uh, but he was the, f- the first of many managers to do that going back to the elite academy thing I think it's brilliant what they're doing there they're putting something back into the city not very often you see footballers doing that I, I don't think uh, to to produce your own academy they're not rivals of, of the old Newcastle United's academy it's they're looking for players who may have been missed um, you know, players between 16 and 18 who they can put on a B-Tech course, uh, teach them the skills of football, but also teach them a few life skills as well. And, you know, at the end of it, if some of them make it to play football, that's brilliant. If they don't, they've got the qualification, they maybe can go away and play non-league. But if they can, you know, unearth somebody that might have been missed by the system or has just slipped through the catchment area a little bit, then... That, that's just a massive plus for them and, and all credit to them because uh, as I say I think it's not often you see footballers taking that time to hold sessions with youngsters who will appreciate exactly what they're getting there and you see, for the two of them who haven't been here that long in terms of Matt Ritchie and Dwight Gale have only been here little more than 18 months 
for for Paul Dummett, it's a club where it's it's where he grew up. It, it's been his club all his life. Rob Elliott's been here six, seven, eight years now. For those two players to have embraced the area and embraced uh, the the talent that they believe is out there, the untapped talent, just shows a lot about the dressing room, I think, as well, and that that the bond there is in there and the leadership there is. Throughout the course of the season, there's been ups and downs in terms of, and we've talked about maybe lacking quality in certain areas of the pitch. But one thing we've always been consistent about is that in the dressing room, the characters are right. Everyone in there is wants to be at the club, wants to do the best for the football club, and also it seems a lot of them want to do the best for the area as well. Well, that was going to bring me on to my next point. Former Newcastle manager Alan Pardew hasn't had the best of weeks. That's an uh, understatement. We'll, we'll call it Taxigate, uh, obviously an incident uh, where his players were in Barcelona and something untoward happened now, obviously the four players who've uh, come out and they've apologised for one, Gareth Bowie, who I don't think anybody would have uh, picked him as one of the, uh, the parties, um, but what does that say maybe about Pardew, maybe he's lacking a bit of authority there at West Brom, as Benitez, I know we spoke about this yesterday Chris, where Benitez, there's been ups and downs, you've mentioned the lack quite, but he's always had that control over the squad where they've respected him they've stuck to what he's said and we've not heard any stories about one player breaking out even the players that aren't playing there's always that respect and authority that he commands Just before we get on that in terms of the, the Gareth Barry being involved it's quite interesting because I read Tony Cascarino's column over the weekend and I, I like you was surprised when I saw that it was Gareth Barry Johnny Evans players who were senior professionals who don't seem to be that and he said he wasn't surprised because being in dressing rooms it usually is the leadership or the older, supposedly more senior players who would try and instigate social occasions. So he said he wasn't necessarily surprised when the names came out, which I thought was interesting from a, a footballer themselves, or an ex-professional footballer themselves, to say that. Um, but the fact that, that it has manifested itself in the alleged incident that's happened, I think, I think says a lot. Um, whereas at Newcastle, touch wood from everything we've seen so far, from everything we know so far, Aside from Diarmi and Lascelles Gate earlier in the season, I think we've had, uh, which which again was self-pleasing to a certain extent, we haven't had those off-field incidents. Benitez opted against going away mid-season, which I think was wise in the aftermath, but also I liked his reasoning for it. It wasn't just about football and reasoning. He was thinking these players, as much as you, you talk about them being well-paid and, and, and whatnot, but they are travelling a lot of the year, they they are committed to the football club and he wanted them to spend time with the families at that time off um, rather than whisk them all away for a few days to be in that cooped up environment. There's clearly a respect within that squad for but he has even Alexander Mitrovic since he's gone hasn't said a bad word about him. Different with Jack Holback and Tim Krull but they're different scenarios. Mitrovic uh, I was uh, talking with Benitez uh, a week and a half ago for the Times and Alison Rudd said that when she'd interviewed Mitrovic, even off the record he wouldn't say a bad word about Benitez. There isn't that culture at Newcastle. Um, the players respect the manager, believe in what he's trying to do and clearly at West Brom things are unravelling in a lot of areas, not just with what Alan Pardew's done on all levels, chairman's gone, chief executive's gone and it really has been a bad week for them. I think they're doomed. I suppose Lee, it kind of states just how could have a job and he has it done because he hasn't had it all his own way aboard ever. We we go over these over this subject numerous times in the podcast week after week about not getting the monies after the players he's wanted. So it's not literally been a case of everything's together and he's just kind of got to kind of ride the, the roller coaster as it is. It is all over the shop sometimes and he's had to really work work hard to keep it under under grasp. Yeah, I think with Rafa, 
he's the type of guy where you know exactly where you stand with him. There's, there's a line and you, you just don't cross it. And I think he's he's projected that across the players and, and they've grasped it pretty quickly that when you go to the training ground, it's, it is a working environment. Um, it's not too strict because, you know, he does do it with a, a smile on his face. But he's not the type of manager who tries to be one of the lads, uh, tries to say, oh, I've done what you have done, or what we used to do when we were players, all that kind of stuff. And he doesn't really look to have this kind of, um, like a knees up with players and, and, and throw the throw the bar open and, and everybody has a pint and that sort of thing. And, I, you know, from the outside looking into what's gone at West Brom, I think maybe Arzu's perhaps trusted the players a little bit too much let them go out and enjoy themselves a bit too much and it's been that that privilege has been abused um, I was surprised that two of the players were on the team sheet the following game yeah, I don't think well. I think if anything like that had happened in Newcastle uh, Rafa wouldn't have allowed they, they wouldn't be playing they'd be out of the squad they'd be in the cold they'd be down training on their own at the academy I don't think he would put up for that um, and uh, again I think maybe Pardew might be perhaps trying to be one of the lads by allowing them to go back in the team without knowing exactly what's gone on the signs out of West Brom aren't good at the minute and for Newcastle that, that could be a good thing because that's one, one less team to be battling with relegation against can't write them off just yet but it doesn't look good Newcastle head down to Bournemouth this weekend down the south coast and what will be a very important game for the Magpies three points is really probably a must uh, but it'll not be an easy game by any stretch so how does Benitez make his decision on who, who starts at centre back? He does have a big decision to make I think Clark will be alright Benitez intimated uh, after the game last week against Man United that he expected almost have a clean bill of health throughout the squad and obviously we'll wait to see team news on Friday because there could have been developments and training and whatnot. But I think he will be available. Uh, but personally, I think I would stick with Lejeune and Lascelles. It's harsh on Clark to a certain extent because he has played very well recently. But I think the long-term Benitez sees Lejeune as, as, as one of his centre-backs. He brought him in last summer. One of the only two first-choice signings he made. Still think he's better on the ball than the other players. Bournemouth like to press high. They like to, to try and really get at teams high up the pitch and I think if you don't have a centre-back who's comfortable on the ball that can make it quite difficult Lejeune what I liked about against Man United was he did play on certain occasions but he also was just willing to put it off the park or just get rid of it if he had to and I think that he's learning that I think he's, he's, he's learned the pace of the Premier League he's, he's learning every every game he's physically getting stronger and he's such a threat in the opposition box I think even early in the season when they put the ball in the box he's never usually the one to win the last header but if you get a free kick in the box he almost always wins it and that obviously led to, to Matt Ritchie's goal so personally I would stick with those two but really wouldn't have any qualms if it, if it was Clark instead of him you very much expect ourselves to face the captain he's been playing well uh, he's the the record with him in the team's excellent but I suppose left field as well he could even maybe go to three at the back I don't necessarily expect it but he, he could go three at the back in which case it could be Dummett shifts in there or it could be Clark comes in there as well so he's, he's got plenty of options he's got plenty of options over the pitch and it's it's a nice headache for him to have because the, the injury situation touch wood looks, looks good at the moment and I suppose Lee it's by no means an easy game they've got some good attacking players Callum Wilson Josh King you know if Clark does come back and he's, he's in that uh, start 11 it's, it's not going to be an easy game for him to return from injury from 
very tough down there at Bournemouth. Newcastle won the last time we were down there, but I don't know how. I'm still scratching, <laughs> so, yeah, scratching my head. How they got through that one, I, I do not know. Um, Rob Elliott was probably the answer I'm looking for on that particular day. Um, I, I, th- I think it, there's a lot of decisions for, for Rafa to make. The centre-back situation being quite a big one. Lejeune, we probably haven't seen the very best of him yet. He's had a, an injury-interrupted season. We got a real taste of what he was about against Man United at both ends of the park, as you, as you touched on. I think it would be a big call to drop for this one, but then that's what Rafa does. He makes the big calls. He, he won't hesitate. If he thinks Kieran Clark can do a job on any given day, he'll put him in there and you know, Lejeune will respectfully except that his time is going to be on the bench for that one I don't know um, he'll be looking to keep things very tight down there Bournemouth were on a good run weren't they up until recently uh, I think they've only lost one in the last eight so it's going to be a very tough game again you, you almost go back to saying would take a point would take a point but who knows Newcastle they, they go there with the tails up they've got a real opportunity to, to get something and more importantly, climb away from the, that relegation zone. The quicker they can get that sealed off, the better. Strange team, Bournemouth, because if they get ahead early and get some momentum behind them, they can score four, five, six goals quite easily. But as Puddersfield showed last week as well, they can, they can easily concede goals as well. So very strange team, but very dangerous as well. Anyhow, the job he's done there over the last few years, well documented. Uh, excellent, excellent young manager and a team who really have, in terms of size of stadium and club really, have no right to be in the Premier League but f- fully deserve it in terms of what they've done on the pitch and they have basically pulled themselves out of trouble. I think that another one or two wins and they'll be fine. Uh, but Newcastle can, can get almost level with them if they do win this weekend. So uh, I, th- I personally think Newcastle are only three wins away from, from being safe. I don't think more than 37 points you're going to need this season obviously you want more just as a cushion but I think that three wins from the last 11 games will see them safe still a big job ahead can't get ahead of themselves but that win against Man United psychologically was huge and quarter Bournemouth with confidence and I think almost a bit of a free hit because if they hadn't won last week they would have had to go there and win now I don't think it's necessarily the case Do you think Benitez will approach this game by saying like trying to get rid of the memory of the Man United game so often not saying not we beat Man United so we now expect to beat Bournemouth or is it a case that we'll use Man United in the game well look this is what you can you can do go and do it against Bournemouth which is no disrespect to Bournemouth they are a lesser team than Manchester United so which approach do you think he'll take? I think with Rafa he doesn't necessarily always go for the sort of kidology or the psychology and, and, and the need to build confidence I think he knows that will be flown through the players veins naturally anyway he'll have a game plan constructed for this game to beat Bournemouth and he'll get the play he'll drum it into the players' heads. He'll be doing that for the last two weeks. And the players go into these team meetings and they get told exactly what to do and he'll know that this is going to be Bournemouth away, it's a completely different fixture, Newcastle v Man United at St James Park for obvious reasons. But it's almost like a cup tie environment at the the Vitality Stadium they call them used to be Dean Court uh, the atmosphere's always bouncing um, the Premier League's still a novelty mm-hmm. to their supporters 
reminds me a little bit of going down to Portsmouth when they were in the Premier League. They sing and chant all the way through. The the, the supporters are right in the players' faces. It's a hard place to go. Um, if Newcastle will emerge from there with with anything, then um, I think it's a job well done. Obviously, hopefully we'll get to see Islam Slomani. Obviously, right from Leicester, he's missed the last couple of games through injury. Um, but fingers crossed he'll be available. If so, do you expect Rafa Benitez to pick him? I think he'll be in the squad. If he starts or not will depend on where exactly his fitness is. Benitez said he could have risked him against Man United if he wanted to. Didn't want to take the, the risk with his, his thigh injury. He's trained with the group over the last week. Been back to Algeria for a bit as well. Um, I think that if Benitez... Benitez will have a, have a specific game plan. Now, that might involve Dwight Gale as a smaller quicker striker or he might want more of a focal point up front if he wants more of a focal point up front I think Slomani could well get the nod um, but I'd certainly expect to see him make his debut be that as a starter or off the bench I think he'd probably be on the bench I don't think he'll risk him from the very start that they don't seem to want to push him too hard mm. because they don't need to basically I think Dwight Gale is while he hasn't scored for a while He's in a relatively good place. Uh, his spirits seem to be high. He's, he's contributing a lot to the team, not just goals. Obviously, he's got the assist against Man United. A couple of important clearances at the other end. He's in a good place. It's not You wouldn't ax a player like that in that situation. So I think Slomani may well be on the bench, but you know what Rafa's like. No, Nobody knows, not even the players. The fans don't know. The players don't even find out until an hour and a half before the game. He might just throw a big surprise and then ask someone to, to rise to the occasion. Yeah, I mean, Dubravka didn't know he was playing until an hour and a half, two hours before the Man United game, so it'll be a similar scenario for Slomani. I think the only player really this season he's given a heads up to was Woodman before he made his debut, and that was just so he was prepared mentally. I don't think anyone else really gets a heads up. It is the team is announced when they arrive at the stadium, and that will be the case again this weekend. We'll certainly be watching with interest. Just briefly, Chris, we know. I know you did this yesterday, but it was about the Spurs uh, FA Cup replay and how Newcastle United could potentially go 21 days without a game, which is just a bizarre scenario to be in. Yeah, the whole situation's a bit ludicrous, really. The fact that this game was rescheduled in the first place to be on TV, even though there was always a reasonable chance that not Newcastle, because we know that they, in the Mike Ashley era, they don't progress past the fourth round, but there was a reasonable chance that Spurs. We're going to be in the quarter-final. That was FA Cup quarter-final again. So Newcastle game has been shifted to the Friday night in London, which Newcastle fans haven't been able to book so far. Still can't book to go because at the moment, if Spurs win the replay, which is likely to be a week tomorrow or a week on Wednesday, then that game gets shifted and probably won't be played until the back end of April, you wouldn't have thought, because it's, with the Champions League weeks, UEFA don't like domestic games to be played during that time. Then you've also got a two-week international break anyway. So Newcastle are going to go from Southampton on the 10th of March to 31st of March when they host Huddersfield without having a game. If Spurs do beat Rochdale, as you would expect they would, back at Wembley in this replay, and it, it really is a bizarre situation. It's even longer than the break they had when they went to Lamanga under Steve McLaren. I think that was 18 days. Um, they knew it was going to be a two-week break anyway with the national break, but the, the the extra week is just it. It depends when Newcastle are on the table as to how damaging it can be. But 
say if Newcastle build up a bit of momentum from now, then they're going to have a three-week break without a game. Rivals will play, the majority of them at least, in that fallow week and they could see Newcastle move up or down the table. And it, It's just not a scenario you really want. It's bizarre that the Premier League, there were six games inside 18 days over the festive period and then you can go, they're going to have done six over two months if that is the case. It's just a really unbalanced schedule. But that's another test that Newcastle are going to have to face and Rafa Benitez will embrace and look for a way through and to try and keep the players uh, with the task at hand knowing that they're going to game for three weeks. And just the fact that it was moved late to a Friday night anyway, it's one of the most bizarre things as well. But certainly Newcastle United fans have got to travel. And of course, it's not always Newcastle United fans who are in the scenario, but it tends to be Newcastle United fans are the fans who've got to travel the longest. They've got to book their tickets and there's often a train isn't available. There is one, but it leaves on 70 minutes. I mean, it's got to be about time that the Premier League and the TV broadcasters actually sit up and put the fans first. Yeah, it's there's been some chaotic scenes this season that hasn't been Chris Snow because we've been involved in most of them but uh, you know they've had Southampton on a Sunday earlier kickoff, off uh, Swansea Crystal Palace uh, you know now this on potentially on a Friday night who knows when it'll get rearranged for you know it, it's not great for the supporters they, they spend it's, it's not cheap to go away games that they've got to pay for the trains the hotels uh, the tickets are sky high prices it's not fair on the on the punters really who, who deserve to uh, be able to support the team but not have to pay these ridiculous prices and have to do it at ridiculous times of course people have got a choice to do it but the Premier League if the Premier League isn't about supporting your team then what is it about so, yeah. you know and so do we want a nation a sort of generation of, of fans who just sit and watch from the city or watching the pub it's not good for the game you need the FA the Premier League all the supporters liaison groups have got to come together uh, and, and sort this out because you know at the minute it is a little bit of a mess It's unique in England as well aside from Germany the majority of European nations away travel isn't a massive thing Spanish ground very rarely are there many away fans Italy the same I think famously there was an Udinese fan he was the only away fan at one of the grounds because they don't really take that many people to away games in England it's part of the culture it's what people do and they do need to be protected there's enough money in the Premier League already and I know that the Sky and BT are paying a lot of money to get the TV rights but it has to be as Lee said there have to be all these groups get involved the SFF and, and everyone sit around the table and say look we know you want specific types of games but we need enough time in advance to be able to I mean it's meant to be six weeks but sometimes it's, it's far less than that for this game it could be two and a half weeks if that it's going to be rearranged for a strange time it needs there really needs to be a thought out process joined together because it's one of the reasons why the Premier League is so successful because you have that it creates the atmosphere and you take away the away fans and you lose a big part of that now just a quick message from our sponsors today's podcast is brought to you by Powerhouse Fitness Newcastle your home fitness store where you can save about 50% off home fitness equipment and their biggest ever sale. No longer will you need to feel the unnerving sensation of another man's body heat on your saddle, sheepishly move weights under the gaze of the local beefcake or put up with that atrocious gym music. You can support the podcast by visiting the Newcastle Powerhouse Fitness Store on Percy Street or their website at www.powerhouse-fitness.co.uk where right now you can save hundreds of pounds on treadmills, exercise bikes, weights, nutrition and home gym packages. We're going to move on to discussing the best games that we've covered 
as journalists and as fans. Uh, lots of games to talk. We've had some over social media who've got in touch and delivered some games to talk about, which the, the games that spring to mind are, you know, the Barcelona three-two. So that a lot of these games would be first choice for many. We'll start with you, Lee, and maybe the, the one game that stands out, the one game you'll probably talk about in 10, 15 years' time. Well, you know, as a supporter and as a journalist, I've seen a lot of very high-octane matches up there at St James's Park. The 5-0 against Man United stands out. Um, I think that, that afternoon, the atmosphere... You know, people sometimes say the, the atmosphere is improving at Newcastle, and, and it is. But I think back then, under Keegan, the ground was rotten to its foundations on days like that to, to dismantle the Man United team. Uh, as, as good as that was, was something else. Uh, I think the, as I say, the atmosphere was, was brilliant. But from that same season, one game that I, I always enjoyed watching back when it comes up on Sky. Was Newcastle four, Leicester three, and Leicester, uh, very good Leicester team with Emil Heskey uh, involved. They flew into a three-one lead. Uh, I think it was only 10-15 minutes left, and Newcastle managed to turn it around with an Alan Shearer hat trick, uh, last-minute winner, and it was just a different way of winning. Um, I mean, Keegan had gone by then; it was Daglish in charge, but it was very much Keegan's team, uh, and on days like that you truly appreciate what it was like to have a world-class striker in your squad because Alan Shearer was the difference in, in the, the closing stage of that match. As a journalist, I've covered a lot of big, big Newcastle games. Probably Newcastle 4, Arsenal 4 sticks out. A lot of people had written that one off. People had left the ground, all that sort of thing going on. I think Alan Pardew had told his players that it's about damage limitation. But you know they came back and got a draw. But the, probably the thing that people forget about that game was Newcastle almost won mm-hmm. when Kevin Nolan flicked that one past the post in the in the very uh, closing stages of the game. Could have been a, an even more spectacular story than it was. But so many games to to mention really. Um, but they're three that definitely stick out for me. My United game was Shira uh, celebrating in the corner. Yeah, because uh, obviously had a lot of stick from my United fans for joining Newcastle. But I mean that season alone, there was a lot, a lot of games that stood out. You know, the seven-one against Spurs, for instance. Newcastle going a horrific run, yeah. And to bounce back, and she was scoring some absolutely fantastic goals in that game. The one where it comes over his yeah. shoulder, puts it between two yeah. defenders in the battle. And yeah, I mean, when that Keegan, the atmosphere, like you say, and the way they played, it just carried everybody along. We'd love to see them days again. And when that Benitez, it is, it is a start turn that way. It is. Yeah, it is, and I think you've got to give full credit to the, the guys with the flags, uh, the supporters groups that have, have actually been uh, allowed to, to make a difference with the atmosphere. I think it, it's always about the product on the pitch and how much you allow the manager to, to build a, a team that's going to get results. I don't think Rafa's ever going to play uh, entertainers' brand of football, but then again, how many teams do do that these days I think Rafa uh, will try to put a team out there that really battles hard like the Man United game uh, the team chasing everything scrapped for every last ball will take that all day really compared to a, a team of players who under previous managers had pretty much thrown the towel in So, but it all starts on the pitch uh, but at the end of the day 
I think that Man United game was just a little hint that the better days could could be just around the corner. Fingers crossed. And for you, Chris, and what's the one game that it stands out for yourself? As a non-journalist, I think it would be Newcastle 4, Man United 3. Uh, when the famous Shearer Keegan, uh, Keenan uh, incident at the end excellent game uh, went back and forth um, Newcastle had taken a 3-1 lead and then eventually came back to threes each it looked like Man United had wrestled the momentum back and then there was the, the Shearer goal which eventually got given as a I think it was a Lauren Blanc one goal in the end That's why, yeah. um, just a fantastic game all around both teams uh, really were on form at that moment in time there's some brilliant players on display Giggs, Scholes, Shearer Bellamy, all the players who, who, who were involved and then the, the, the Keane and Shearer incident at the end because it was just brilliant to see I still don't Shearer. think either of them have actually revealed what has been said I know Keane has admitted that Shearer got the better of him that day but I'm, I'm still not read or heard anything about what actually was said and I, w- I would love to know. It was just funny how petulant it was as well, just the way he like throwing the ball off his back and things, and then oh, and then Shearer getting the ref involved. But the noise, so, the noise was just... It was, but just it just it was something so small compared to what Keane has done in other scenarios, as, as we all know. And it, but it was just with the crowd behind them and with how big a win it was for Newcastle, and uh, that that was that was a, a fantastic day. In terms of as a journalist, I think the strangest game I've ever covered, and obviously. I'm, Still fairly young in my journalistic career, but I think I'll go somewhere to find a stranger game than the Spurs 5 1, just because Newcastle had been relegated three days before, four days before, whatever it was, Sunderland winning 3 0 against Everton. You go into the ground not really knowing what to expect. I mean, it could have been toxic atmosphere, and understandably so to a certain degree. Newcastle had been relegated when really that team was too good mm-hmm. to have gone down, and yet it was a party atmosphere with fans begging Benitez to stay and then the players on the pitch that day showed what they should have shown for the majority of the season and really tore Tottenham apart and Tottenham didn't know what to do with it. Remember Newcastle were down to 10 men for a large part of that second half as well mm. um, and it was just a fantastic display and a bizarre atmosphere but but a brilliant atmosphere and that showed what the atmosphere could get back to at St James's Park. I think in terms of the, the best I've seen Newcastle play as a journalist in terms of full game was a 6-0 QPR last season mm. from, st- from start to finish Newcastle were excellent I mean second half QPR were awful the first half I think it was more just Newcastle were brilliant Shelby was out of this world Perez was, was physical was brilliant up front um, and they just I think there were so many good performers that day it could have been anything it could have been 10 quite easily warm day as well wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah exactly it was 26-27 degrees <laughs> by kick off on an evening game and uh, brought the best out of Newcastle because they were they were absolutely phenomenal um, so they're the, they're, the, they're the ones that really stick out for me a few more to mention Dave Parry talks about Newcastle being Barcelona 3-2 and obviously everyone remembers that Spia scoring the goals but Keith Gillespie on that day I mean by God I mean if <laughs> you have one game to remember your career by it's going to be that one because Keith Gillespie was just unstoppable yeah I mean that's a game that will go down you know, and be remembered for all for all the right reasons. That was probably the the final product of the entertainers because it was, you know, built up of a lot of players that Kevin Keegan had bought to the club. Unfortunately, no one really talks about what happened after that in the Champions League because it wasn't very memorable at all. Like, there was Des Hamilton, uh, John Dal Thomason, the strike force uh, in the new camp in the return game or something like that. I don't know, but look, I think. We all crave 
for, for days like that to be back and it's, it's brilliant when you especially when you, you cover games in Europe I mean there's been some big European away games that I've been lucky enough to be involved on and to see the Newcastle fans you know take over places I mean the Bruges trip a few years ago when it was 2-2 um, you've never seen anything like that I think there was about 10 11,000 Newcastle fans in, in the main square and it was just a sea of black and white and it was it was brilliant they, they didn't all have tickets but they all made sure that they were going to enjoy being in Europe probably because they knew that it might not happen again for, for quite some time and, and, and so it's proved so you, you crave for the, the days of you know just European football would be nice again and I, I think if they stick with Rafa Benitez and keep backing him then he's the man who can take them there of course I mean obviously sticking with the Champions League you have the, the Feyenoord game there Bellamy scoring in the last minute you know and then the Inter Milan game with the San Siro Shio netting too and we thought we were so close to progressing through but it just wasn't to be but on the season there that you mentioned the last time you cast when you were in Europe when the CC uh, scored the last minute against Anzi I mean that was the, some moments in James's Park and the atmosphere and the noise right at the death CC I think scored a header I mean we long for them scenes to, to be back at the James's but do I mean fans don't need to be told but this is a club with serious European pedigree it's a, it's a club with serious cup pedigree just not in the recent past and it's 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 really disappointing to see what they've become in the in the domestic cups. I think they had a quarter final in the League Cup three years ago, and that's been the only time they've got anywhere close to to getting anywhere in any any of the competitions like that. They progressed fairly deep into the Europa League um, under Alan Pardew, and lucky and possibly could have gone a little bit further that year as well. But this there's there's few cities who will embrace. Cup competition be domestic or European like Newcastle um, obviously there's a, there's a brilliant traditional history there with Liverpool but Newcastle is a club like Liverpool as Benitez keeps saying and it, it, those days are what this club yearns for and it's, it's what this club needs and hopefully um, given the, the right backing Benitez can deliver that Premier League really getting into the top four probably is beyond Newcastle in the short term it's going to take serious investment to get there they're, they're miles ahead but breaking into the, the edges of that top six really trying it in the cup competitions and getting into Europe is is not beyond them at all and with the guarantee now of a few more years TV money the foreign the, the foreign rights are likely to get higher and further if Benitez is given that sort of money to spend I think that he really could get them back there and, and, and fans will be able to, to hopefully have some of those nights again and be able to go to the far flung areas of Europe and, and support their team Fingers crossed. We'll just mention a couple of times we had derbies. Obviously, we all know Newcastle haven't had the best record of late, but that 5-1 on Halloween, I remember missing a train after being at the game and had to pay for a new ticket, but I wasn't I wasn't angry. We'd just beaten Sunderland 5-1. The atmosphere, Steve Bruce standing on the touchline and the crowd singing. Uh, I'll not repeat what they were singing, but it was it was like it was being played over the air, the air system. It was, it was a fantastic atmosphere, a brilliant performance. Yeah, it was. Quite pleased Newcastle fans made the most of it because what Alan Pardew served up in subsequent derbies at St James Park was was pretty dreadful, really. I think um, Chris Hutton was obviously the guy in charge for the five-one, but Alan Pardew didn't seem to understand the derby as much as previous managers. Uh, I think when you look back at that game, 
uh, the, the, well, there was two nil threes. I know we're talking about bad games here now, <laughs> but, but that th- that game where those people were running on the pitch and throwing the season tickets down, uh, that that for me was a bad memory, a, a very bad memory. And you know, you, you almost hope there was another derby around the corner for for us now to to put that right. But that seemingly may not happen for quite a long time now, which is which is incredible to think about. But yes, that five one, great memories of that. Um, you know Brian Taylor's free kick at the Stadium of Light was a very special moment as well. It could be a long time till we uh, go back to the Stadium of Light. You just don't know. This is the game against Villa as well when Newcastle won six 0 Cal scored Harrick Shearer in his box because I think a bet had come off. I mean that day that was that was a very special day. I think that was the moment you thought, hey, Newcastle aren't just yet to make the numbers. I know it was very early on in the season, but Joey Barton played an absolute blinder that that day. Yeah. Yeah, I think the players were quite they were quite psyched up for that one because Aston Villa had sent Newcastle down in two thousand and nine, so I think they really wanted to to get a bit of revenge on that one, and they were certainly fired up. And yeah, that was that was some season really that for the first half anyway for Chris Hughton before he unfortunately got uh, shown the door. But to to rack up five against Sunderland and six against Villa within a few months is quite impressive. Brilliant. We'll just finally go on to a few games under Sid Boy Robson. Obviously, it would have been his 85th birthday earlier this week. You know, he came back similar to like Benitez. He revolutionised the team. He, he galvanised the crowd. Some great games. 4-3 against Liverpool, doing a, a jig on the touchline. I think is the famous commentary for Martin Tyler. Um, one that stands out for me is when Newcastle beat Derby 3-2 at Pride Park. Mm-hmm. I think Kieran Dyer scored. I mean, Solano was offside for the cross and Kieran Dyer was offside for the goal, but it was a 90th minute goal and they were the way and just going absolutely crackers but it was some brilliant games in there and that's about Robson there was and that team was built on pace and the ability to cross the ball and to have Bellamy off Shearer and out wide you had Solano and Robert and then you had Genus and Dyer and, and Speed in the middle and the, and the different players that had it was it, there was some serious talent in that squad and it was they're, they're again like the Keegan team their first idea was to attack and that's what they did and Got them, made them very successful. Finished third, finished fourth. Played in the Champions League. The famous uh, Andy Griffin winner against Juventus sticks in mind as well. Um, just a, a, a brilliant team to watch with it with a manager who uh, had, had achieved so much already, and then was finally uh, managing his, his father's club, um, and who he who he supported since a boy, and he'd had the opportunity in the past. Stayed loyal to Barcelona. Didn't know if the opportunity was going to come again. Did then take it and then delivered some brilliant nights. And um, maybe uh, in hindsight was was sacked too soon. But the fact what he had achieved in the time that he was there was phenomenal, and, and he and rightly is is held in high regard. Not just what he achieved on the pitch, but also often with what is the Spurry Robson Foundation still does now. I think it's just past its tenth year, and the amount of money that's raised for, for cancer. And cancer research is, is is phenomenal, and the, the legacy he's left in Tyneside and beyond is is brilliant. Yeah, totally agree. And just to wrap it up on two games, I remember my uh, dad telling me about the, the Grimsby game when Newcastle sealed I think it was a title to uh, to the, what was then the, the new Premier League, and then the Leicester City game on the last game of the season, where season before Newcastle needed to yeah. to win to steal the, one of the most bizarre goals I think we'll ever see it in James Park. A year later, Newcastle thrashed them. I think it was six six one, was it? Mm-hmm. and it was just them two games kind of just summed up the Keegan spirit and uh, propelled Newcastle in the Premier League 
Well, I think the the Grimsby away game, a lot of people of a certain generation will remember that one because it was a little bit like Bruges. I think there was about 12,000 Newcastle fans invaded uh, Cleethorpes, <laughs> had a big day out uh, down there. And, uh, you know, I think all four sides of the ground were pretty... They wear black and white as well at Grimsby, don't they? So I don't think the stewards could tell what was going on there. But, yeah, that was the start of very special days for Keegan, the Leicester game, uh, 7-1. Um, I remember being at that game and there used to be a scoreboard at the Gallagher and I remember just looking up at that and it just had United 6, visitors nil, and that was at half-time. And you were looking at that just thinking, you know, only last season we were getting hammered off teams like Oxford and Charlton and stuff like that. And here Newcastle were, you know, having a party, going up to the Premier League, only end up being... Uh, only to end up being 7-1 in the end but that was a day to remember I think you know Andy Cole got the hat-rick David Kelly got a hat-rick they were fighting over who got the match ball great days I think Lindisfarne played on the pitch beforehand as well it was a dream day to, to be a Newcastle fan and it was the start of a, some very special days to come under Keegan it was you almost began to expect results like that very regularly you know walking up to the ground in those days it wasn't a case of are Newcastle going to get a result today it was like how many are we going to win by and, you know there was a lot of teams that left uh, St James's Park with a, with a real thrashing and uh, Leicester weren't alone uh, during that period thank you very much for listening please remember to like subscribe and share the podcast whether that be through iTunes Audio Boom, Spotify or whichever platform you may be listening through And if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at Chronicle NUFC and on Facebook at the same handle, Chronicle NUFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedback. So why don't you drop us a line and get in touch?